Welcome to Conversations at Basecamp. I'm Noah. And I'm Kim. And we're the co-founders of Kihila, a private community that is a digitized and modernized women's resource group. Our content is designed to provide the universal core skills, confidence, and competence needed to advance and lead today and tomorrow. We believe that representation matters. On this podcast, you'll be able to hear some of the amazing conversations we have in our platform with an incredible array of diverse, empowered women. These conversations have inspired our own personal, professional, and financial lives and given us the confidence to step up and show up as our boldest, truest selves. We hope to spark fire in your soul too and help you on your journey to live on purpose and get in the driver's seat of your life. This is Basecamp for Women on the Rise. Join us. Step up. And while you're up there, reach down and bring another woman up too. Welcome to Kahila's Coffee Chat series, the Wednesday group mentoring sessions with executives and leaders on their successful routines and how they've risen to where they are today. Today's coffee chat is with Sam Saperstein, Managing Director and Head of Women on the Move at JP Morgan Chase & Co. Prior to this role, Sam spent five years as Chief Marketing Officer at Chase Commercial Banking and was a strategy consultant in the New York office of McKinsey & Company. Sam serves on the board of Safe Horizon, the nation's largest victim services agency that supports victims of domestic violence, child abuse, human trafficking, and youth homelessness. Fun fact, also, Kim and I first met Sam before Kahila was even a uh, real business. It was still in its concept phase, and it was about two and a half years ago. I remember presenting it to you on an iPad, and we were like, it'll be, it'll be great. Um, so it's awesome to have you here with us today, uh, Sam. Welcome. It's great to see you both, and I remember meeting you back in our offices a long time ago, and I have not been there in a year, so it certainly feels like a while, but yeah. great to see you at least here. Yeah. Wonderful to have you with us. So our first question that we'd like to lead off today with comes from one of our members. You've held impressive roles in various industries. What are the three key skills you believe are transferable to each role that you've had? So I've had a very variety of variety of different jobs and experience path that uh, is not linear. So I would say this, I started my career as a journalist, and I think those communication skills, the writing skills in particular, have really served me well throughout my whole career, no matter what I did. And now I actually use those communication skills quite a bit. So that was a wonderful thing to have as a foundation. I think, too, after business school, going into consulting really gave me sort of a a consulting toolkit, you know, those strategy skills that have often been great no matter what job I did, whether it was a strategy job or not, because it teaches you how to think how to look for data, how to break down data and do the analysis, and then to package it all up and to come with recommendations for what to do next. So all of those things I consider a strategic toolkit and they've been very useful for me. Um, Again, as I was a journalist and not a business person, I really held on to those skills going forward. And lastly, I think just people skills, working with different people, um, really valuing clients and colleagues, that has always served me well. You know, even when I wasn't relying on those things, or even I didn't know what I was really doing, being able to work with others well and being collaborative, I think um, has always been just an asset for me. I love that. Um, Next question, another one also from one of our members. What 
best advice you've ever received from a colleague and or a mentor and how did you put it into action? So here's something that an early mentor of mine really helped me with. This was when I was in my early days in consulting. I was not yet a manager. I was on the cusp of being a manager. So maybe a year and a half in. And I was working with this great guy named Bill, a very senior partner. And he said to me, okay, Sam, here's when you're going to know you're ready to take on that next manager role, your junior manager role. He said, you need one of three things. One, you need to know the topic or the problem you're trying to solve. If you've done that work before, you know, go for it. Or two, you need to have worked with the client before. So you have familiarity with that client and their environment and their background and their people. Or third, you, have, you should have worked with the team before, meaning the McKinsey team of consultants. So if you had one of those three things, you're ready. You should go for it. And so I said, okay, Bill, that's great. And he and I had just been working on a project for a Canadian bank on the subject of risk management. And I had another manager at the time. So a few months later, that bank came back to us and hired Bill and the team to do the next phase of the project. And I knocked on his door and said, hey, Bill, you told me I needed to optimize one of three things. But listen, I've worked with this client. I've worked with you and the team. And I know this problem really well. So I've got three of those things. I'm ready. <laughs> and I pitched myself back to him. And I said, I'm ready for this uh, you know, junior engagement manager role. And he gave it to me. And that was really my first uh, time managing a team, which went really well. I think if I had had one of those three, I might have been a little more nervous, but I felt great having all three of them. That went really How well. long was it from when he told you you needed those three things to when you then went back? Probably only a matter of months. It was not very long. I mean, I kept thinking about it and I kept looking for those opportunities. And when this one landed, it was really perfect. Awesome. I love that the advice you were giving it back to him exactly. <laughs> that like I did it you told me which is I was going to challenge him on that you know, yep. I love it um that's fantastic all right so another member question what has been the most difficult decision that you've had to make in your career and what did you learn from it I think probably the most difficult decision or decisions I've had to make were jobs not to take and here are a few examples of the ones that got away. So in about 2007, uh, I was not at Chase at that time. Uh, I was at my prior employer, MasterCard. I really had just gotten there two years earlier. And I actually had an offer to go to Chase with someone who had been at McKinsey. So someone I had known who had reached out to me. And I was at MasterCard only two years. And I was like literally four months from getting married. And I really liked the guy. And I thought the opportunity could be really interesting. But I declined it because I thought, oh, I just got here. I don't want to leave so soon. I felt guilty about that. And I also felt like with my wedding, you know, how I want to focus on that. And I'll tell you something. I, I had interviewed for Chase with Chase probably four times after that before actually coming to the bank. That was the one I felt that got away. You know, that was the opportunity that I actually saw what happened with that business over time and it became very successful. I saw what happened with the people involved. They went on to do great things. So I look back at that and say, hmm, I really thought I had all these limitations on me, right? I was getting married and I just didn't want to let down the people who hired me. That doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter in the end. You know, you work through all those things. So I think you have to make sure when you're making assumptions about what's right for you at the time, you kind of can think ahead or maybe think from other angles or get perspectives that you might not have gotten. I would also say, uh, there was another opportunity I turned down that was a really interesting one. 
I was at MasterCard and this job came up to serve as chief of staff to the CEO at the time. And I interviewed for it. And after interviewing for it, I thought to myself, you know what, I really love what I'm doing. I was doing product development for the first time. I was launching big things. I wanted to see them through. I wanted to have that end-to-end experience and background. And so I declined that job. And partly I declined it because I was talking to the woman who had been in the job current, you know, at the time. And she told me this story about how she was very stressed out because she went to a board meeting with the CEO and she had to get a fly out of the room. That fly was really bothering her and it had to be perfect. And I thought, oh my God, like, am I taking it a job, an administrative job or a job where I have to worry about that? Like, no, thank you. And I turned that down. And I think in retrospect, you know, I'm happy with the way things have turned out. And I went on to do really interesting things. In retrospect, I think what I learned though from that is you define the job you want to do. So someone else might've been doing a job one way. They might've written a job description one way, but the fact is when you come in, you really set the tone for that job. And I'm sure if I had taken it, I would not have had to go in and sort of get flies out of the room and shuffle papers. So, you know, again, think about how do you create opportunities from the things that are in front of you? What would you bring to things with your own twist to it and, and your own value? Love that. Fly is a, such a good analogy as well. <laughs> like it can be, you don't have to be the person who's taking notes in the meeting. You don't have to be the fly chaser. No. Love that. Um, so another question from members. Uh, whether it's imposter syndrome or self-doubt or just having an inner critic, how have you stopped letting that kind of nagging nuisance of a voice that all of us have in some capacity get in your way? So I have a dear friend, Lisa McCarthy. She runs a uh, company called Fast Forward. And Lisa's been in to do many training programs with us. And one thing she likes to teach is to choose a new perspective. So what does that mean? It means you might be looking at a problem and thinking it is a certain way, or you have an issue with a person and they did a certain thing, and you really want to be right about that perspective. And Lisa always counsels, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? And if you want to be happy, the way you do that is you try to look at things from another angle. So I'll put this into a very real example um, that I had very recently. You know, there's somebody at work that I've been really grinding through problems with and just not able to come to resolution with and continually going over the same things multiple times. And it was really starting to eat at me. You know, I just didn't understand why this person was making my life so difficult. Why can't we just move forward? And I really had to sit back and think, maybe this person is very stressed out right now in this environment. Maybe we are in a once in a lifetime situation that is very hard to control and she's just doing her best and I'm trying to do my best. And so that it might not be perfect. It's not like we've resolved everything, but I think it helps me get over that anger and that frustration to see someone just trying to do something they truly believe is right for now. So that's a perspective I choose. And frankly, you can use this with your professional life, your personal life, your mother-in-law, whoever. <laughs> um, it definitely helps me. You know, I would say the other thing is just with age and experience, I think I've been able to compartmentalize things much better much better as an older adult than a younger one. You know, to me, the most important things are family and health. That is it. And if I have a problem at work or a problem with a colleague or an issue, I just know that they're going to go away. You know, as so I sit with the problem, I let myself like feel it 
and then I let it go because it doesn't help anymore. So I've gotten better at that over time, but that was not true of, you know, early stage career and, and life. And then how about self-doubt? You know, is that also you're just pausing and flipping the perspective? You know, I'd or, go or back do, you, to the, do you experience self-doubt actually, first of all? I probably do more as a mother, mm-hmm. you know, and a wife versus a professional. Sure, I do when I'm in situations that might be new to me, but I do think back to the skills that I have and the reason I'm in the room. And maybe I can't, I don't have the right answer right there, but I know how to find the answer and I know how to talk to people and learn it. So those are the things I know I can always bring to the table. Uh, The doubts though about, you know, are you a good enough mother? Are you doing the right thing with your children right now? Those are definitely the doubts that linger for me. Oh my God, I would agree. I feel so much more confident making business decisions than making parenting decisions. I I berate myself a lot more about my um, my motherhood than I do about my just professional day-to-day. I'm glad I'm not you the know only what? No one's given us a business review on that. No one's given us a mother review, I guess, no. yet. So we, they don't come with guidebooks, ourselves. unfortunately. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've not read the parenting during the pand- pandemic guidebook yet but no. I think they're coming <laughs> they'll be out i'm sure yeah <laughs> so as you rose through your career how were you thinking about your future and the next steps so my dad used to always give me this advice keep your options open and what he meant by that is do something a job or schooling that will give you flexibility to do something else. So a skill set that you can keep leveraging. And I really, I think I've always brought that with me. So when I took certain jobs, uh, for example, going into consulting, I felt like that would open up doors for me. You know, not only the strategic learnings, but the people and the clients that I would be working with. And so those were the new doors that were open. So I think I've always tried to take those experiences and look at how they would they could be leveraged in the future. Um, you know, the job before I had this one was as the CMO of our commercial banking business. And at the time I was running credit card strategy for Chase. And I was about to go out on leave with my third child. And I was thinking to myself at the time, okay, if I want to come back to work, which I do, how can I make work as manageable as possible with three children? What is it that I could do very well, as best as anyone with three children and a lot of stress? And I started thinking to myself, well, you know, as a writer and someone who loves to write, I know I could always write. Now, I never did corporate communications, but I did have a background in journalism. So I felt really good about that. So I just started talking to people before I was going out on leave. And it turned out that this role as CMO of this business was open, which was a marketing role and a communications role. So I never formally had, you know, chief communications officer on my resume. I was never a CMO, but I had done marketing. I'd done that at MasterCard doing product development. I'd done communications and writing. I felt like while I didn't have the official resume part of it, I had the building blocks. And so I tried to take those skills into that job. And I really felt that that was the case, you know, that those fundamental skills were there. And then I figured out how to do that job. So I would say, you know, keep pulling through those skills that you have for the next role. You have to know that they are going to lead to something else. I love the making sure you got stuck on what is the job description, but what are the skill sets I'm bringing and where does that lead me? Um, or where could it lead me potentially if I take that? Yeah. Job? And, 
you know, we, we talk all the time about women thinking they have to have most of the qualifications for a certain job. I say, go find the one or two things you can crush and talk to the recruiters about that and tell them why you bring such value to that piece of it. But that's what they're gonna be excited about. And that's what they're gonna focus on. Don't worry about all the things. You will never, listen, as someone who's written job descriptions before, I know I'm not gonna find a job candidate that meets everything. That's my wish list. But I wanna find someone who can you know, meet a lot of them or be really great at some of them. And then we can train them on the rest. Absolutely. And I think, you know, especially now, um, so many kids going into college think that they've got to have their whole life figured out at the age of 18, you know, what they're going to major in, what their career is going to be, forgetting that it is a zig and you're just collecting more tools in your toolbox as you go. So it sounds like you've kind of creatively built your career with each each sort of stepping stone being building blocks where you're collecting skills and um, I love that idea of just what are the one to two things in the job description that you can crush and you can learn the other skills. So many skills are learnable on the job as well. Yeah. And, you know, ideally you're going to work for a manager and a team that provide that learning opportunity and that supportive environment for you to learn and keep learning. Hmm. So you mentioned just casually, you have three kids and you have a pretty big job. What do you say to women who don't think they should go for that next big step because they either want to have a family or they currently have, you know, two kids and they're about to have their third? Yeah, this is a critical issue right now. So I think what I want to start off by saying is stay in the workforce, please, please. I mean, it's so dire out there with so many women leaving either because their jobs disappeared or because they really had a hard time balancing everything, which I completely understand. But what I wanna do is really encourage and motivate people to stand as long as they can and use every available resource around them to do that. So what do I mean by that? So first of all, if you don't have children and you're making decisions based on a future family, I would say, please try to stop making assumptions about what a future might look like that's not even here yet, because things are changing very rapidly out there work from home, flexibility, technology. We're not gonna have the same expectations about traveling all the time to see clients or colleagues. The world will be different. So you might be able to do things differently in the future that you think you can't do now. So try not to make those assumptions. And if you have family, I have family right now, and you're thinking like, well, can't get any tougher, like I cannot handle another thing. I would say this, try it. Put yourself in the position to at least have the option and figure out how you can make it work don't pull yourself out of that option before you even have it. I just would rather see women try to make it work than not even have the option at all. Because by the way, when you try to make it work and you talk to your spouse or you talk to your parents or you talk to whomever's in your support network, chances are you will find there's more that people can do to help you. And second, we need you as leaders to help teach us all what a new environment needs to look like for women and working mothers, especially. So I don't want everyone bringing their preconceived notions that working mothers can't do this. We need to change things going forward for ourselves and our daughters and sons. So I would just say, please stay in as long as you can. I kind of always made a deal with myself that I would stay in until I dropped from exhaustion. <laughs> like that is, I know it sounds really stupid, um, but you know, I had my first child, went back, tough. That's a tough transition. The second child almost seemed a little easier just because they were close in age and I sort of knew the drill. 
third one blew my mind. So that was rough <laughs> all around, you know, three children, four and under was definitely challenging in the beginning. Um, and there were very many days I thought I can't do this anymore. And I just tried to get to the next day or the next week or think to myself, all right, do I need to take a full vacation? Yeah, maybe I do. But what if I just take Thursday night and call it a vacation and try to get the kids to bed earlier and just do something for myself? Like, how do you create those mini moments of peace and solitude or whatever you need to relax and just try to bring them out into your day-to-day -day lives as much as you can? So I, have, I still have those days, but I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. I'm reminded of um, an exercise analogy. You know, um, Kim and I are both addicted to Peloton and they, they often say, <laughs> they often say, you know, modify or rest, but don't quit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're doing a, a hard exercise mood and move and you're tired, rather than just being like, I'm going to can this workout, I'm done. Like do it on your knees, whatever, you know, there are ways to modify and to rest without having to quit because it's so much harder to start again once you've quit. It's so hard. I love the fact that every time you get on like the bike, for example, they'll say, you're here. You, you already took yeah, that off. Exactly. I'm like, yes, I did. Okay. Exactly. I'm here. I better give it my arm. Uh, I mean, totally. totally. Mothers should be saying that to themselves every day that they arrive at the office or sit down at the desk, whatever. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm, it. I'm here. I've got it. <laughs> Keep going. I, I want to ask, and this is a, um, a question that doesn't seem to get a, a, there's not a lot of discussion about it, but as a working woman in a position of seniority, how do you think about supporting people who don't have families, who don't have children, those who are alone, that they don't get overburdened with picking up the slack, so to speak, from, um, you know, people who are working parents? Yeah, I think this is a great question and it does come up often. You know, we hear from a lot of our employees, um, you know, the ones who don't have children. Um, well, listen, what about me? What about my life? What about the things that are important to me? And what I try to do for my own team is really understand the unique needs and interests of individuals by talking to them, you know, in real detail um, to understand, well, what would you do with your extra time? You know, what do you want to spend your time on outside of the office? And to give them that time too. Um, you know, it, you can't always balance things very easily, but I think you just have to realize everyone balances things. Everybody wants to have a healthy, balanced life, no matter what that looks like. And you have to just do your best to make sure you're addressing multiple needs. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's see. We have a question that came in um, a few minutes ago. So in, in all of your growth opportunities, how many were presented to you by women? Oh, such a good one. Okay. Let me think about this. I have had the privilege or, or fortune, I would say, of being hired by women probably post my consulting life in both the organizations that I went to. So when I went to MasterCard, it was actually a McKinsey alumna who brought me in there and I got to work with her for many years. And we had such a nice relationship. Like she knew what my goals were. She knew that I wanted to ultimately move from strategy when I came in to a product development role and really helped me do that pretty quickly. Uh, so I was really fortunate to work with her. Going to JP Morgan, I actually had two women who hired me in. They are amazing. They're no longer there. Uh, one at the time headed the credit card business. And so, you know, we knew each other actually also through McKinsey and this other woman was running strategy. And so I actually got to work with both of them 
credit cards and strategy. And that was just such a delightful experience to work with two women. I so much respected Thought they were amazing leaders. I was learning from them all the time. And so, you know, I know, I think sometimes we don't see enough women role models, or we still think that women don't treat other women as well as they should, or they're harder on other women. I was really fortunate enough to have that experience uh, in these companies with these women. And, um, you know, I've really looked to maintain my relationships with them and still learn from them, even though we don't work together on a day-to-day basis. They're very much inspirations to me still. That's great to hear because, yes, I think, you know, many of the companies that you've worked with, you often think of them as being very male dominated. So and they are. Yeah. And so the women, whether they were seeking out other women, they were they were doing their part to grow more women. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Another member question for you. How have you navigated working with all different levels of managers? So let's break this down. There's definitely a lot of different personalities out there. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I try to do is understand where people are coming from. Like, what is the motivation that people have? What's their influences? And how do I put myself in their shoes and sort of see things from their perspective? When I was in consulting, one of my um, projects I had with really one of my favorite clients, uh, while I was assigned to this, this woman came back from maternity leave and I was told by the other client, there, you know, we need to work with her. You need to work with Lisa and make the project a success. And this woman was very hard to work with in the beginning. She wasn't giving us information. She wasn't very nice. We just didn't feel like we were getting through. And so one day I said to her, Lisa, let's grab breakfast. You know, she came in really early and I was always at the client site early and we did. And as we sat down in the cafeteria, she told me how hard it was to come back from maternity leave with her fourth child. I'd had no children at the time, but I could appreciate it then and how she really struggled to find her way back in and what was the right role for her and was she gonna be taken seriously? And all of a sudden my eyes just really opened, like she was dealing with a whole lot of stuff that had really nothing to do with me and the project. And what I tried to do from then on was really help her be even more successful, you know, make sure she was prepared, give her information, give her the project, you know, help her guide things. We ended up having a great relationship after that. I felt like she had really changed her mind. And that was a tough one in the beginning but I felt like really understanding you know, her motivations made that change. I try that with other folks and I definitely try that um, with folks I work with today. Uh, there's certainly bullies that are out there in uh, all environments. Um, I kind of, my personal philosophy is if you see a bully, you gotta punch back uh, because you need to hold your ground many times. And that is very hard to do. Um, I, I probably only had one boss where I really, couldn't make it work. It was just too difficult. This person was just too, did not see things eye to eye with me. And so that's when I had to part ways and look for another role in the organization. But what I tried to do is hold the organization accountable and show what the problems were, that it was not coming from me and that they had a responsibility to, to help me find that next role, which they did. There's, um, I guess a bit of a follow-on question to the managers. Um, do you feel like you ever have to prove yourself to other other managers, especially men out there, and not come off as being hard or unflexible? Hmm. I think with new folks, you always feel a sense of having to prove yourself, but that might take different flavors. So with some people, they really appeal to data 
and information. And so you need to know those things kind of going in. If that person is really swayed by a fact-based and a logical approach, bring it, bring that to them. Many people want to see collaboration. They want to see you can work with their teams that you're going to help them achieve what they need to achieve. And so I try to do that as well. Um, so yeah, I think I do always try to demonstrate my value. I would say it's less proving myself. It's more demonstrating the value that I bring to the table and why I'm a good partner for them to work with. It just might take different forms. Awesome. I love that idea of understanding how that other person makes decisions. Um, you know, do they want to see the data, as you said? Do they want to see the other people, the peer pressure, that other people are already doing this? And taking a moment to understand what's going to make that person feel successful rather than, you know, delivering yourself the same way each time. Um, there's a, you've said it a few times, this idea of putting yourself in other pe people's shoes. Um, I would imagine people who work with you probably identify you as a very empathetic person because it's a skill to put yourself in other mm -hmm. people's shoes before making an assumption. So switching gears a little bit. So you're on a couple boards. How do you balance board work with your day-to-day -day job and your other full-time job of being a mom of three? I try to do a few things well. So if you're could be interested in a board and want to do something, pick one thing. Pick one thing that you're really interested in. So for me, working on Safe Horizons board, Safe Horizon is an organization that uh, fights against domestic violence and child abuse and other victim-related issues. That is a passion to me. It happens to also be squarely in line with what I do to help women. And so I look at it as just another component of what I do professionally. It just happens to be in a nonprofit. Uh, I'm passionate about it. That always helps, obviously, to want to do things and make things better. And then you find places where you think you can be of most value, again, to that organization. So I chair the marketing committee of the board. Why? Because I have a marketing background. I can add a lot of value there. Believe me, I'd much rather be on that than the audit committee or some other thing. <laughs> so you find the things you really want to do, and it just makes it feel a lot less like work and just a lot more enjoyable. But you also have to prioritize it. So you have to put it on your calendar, try to preserve that time as best you can, and understand that there's going to be limits to the time you can spend. You, know, you, you can only spend a certain amount, and, and really that's it. So touching on that idea of boundaries, you just started to get into it at the end of that um, explanation, but love to hear how you've created, and if you have created healthy boundaries, it sounds like you do have some, both for professional, personal, and has that shifted for you through your career? Yeah, I probably had a lesson early in life on boundaries. Um, after I started my career in journalism, I went to work on Wall Street as an analyst, financial analyst in one of those programs, not at JP Morgan Chase, at another firm. And there were no boundaries. You worked 24 seven, literally 24 hours a day. So there were days I would do the overnight shift 24 hours. There were a few times I did 48 hours straight. 48 hours straight of being in an office is really what the human body is not meant to do. And it was for me, horrible. So I knew kind of going through that experience I could not be a banker. I could not live that way. Like I just wanted my life back. It was such a miserable time for me personally. So after business school, I didn't even look at banking jobs, which is ironic that I'm now back at a bank, but you know, at the time I wasn't gonna do it. 
And consulting, you know, actually is another career that can be very demanding from the travel perspective. Definitely long hours, but you're often on the road, not even at home. And so when I got to the point where that travel was becoming really too difficult and I wanted to have better balance, that's the time I stepped away and I left consulting. So I think all along I've constantly been adjusting what I am tolerant of doing, like those boundaries for myself. And I've just purposely found jobs that I could be flexible in, that I could control my schedule. And that obviously gets easier the further you go in your career and the more senior you are. It's not always doable. I totally understand that earlier in careers. But if you're in a situation or an environment or a company whose culture you feel gives you that flexibility, I think that's what you need to look for. So that's how I've always tried to set that. You know, there's certainly some late nights sometimes or some weekends, but for the most part, I feel very much in control of the professional life. Um, the personal life can, can bleed every which way, right? Um, I don't know how you put your kids in sort of a, a limited box. It just never works. Um, and, you know, you have to cut yourself some slack on that. So I have you know, three children. My youngest child is on the autism spectrum, and that presents a whole other you know, level of need and concern. And there's many, many days I feel like I need to be with him more and uh, work on his needs more. And so I try to adjust where I can. So there might be periods where I'm super focused on him, have to pull back from work a little bit. And then we get back to a, a more normal situation. It's the only way I found it to work. You have to sort of ebb and flow with your time and where you're spending it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to ask a kind of a follow-up from that. Um, how have you navigated the increasingly blurry line between work and life um, that we have all been in basically for a year now? Yeah. You know, every day I sort of look at the days and ask, you know, what do I have to get done or what meetings are on the calendar? And I try to work around them. So try to fit in exercise first things for me, if it doesn't get done early, it usually doesn't get done. So that's it. Um, but sometimes if I have an early meeting, I will try to try to squeeze in a workout at lunch. Or if I don't have to do that, I'll try to see my kids at lunch if they're home. Or I'll try, try, try to pull back, you know, 5.30 or 6 p.m. to try to spend time with them. For months and months, I cooked dinner every night. I think I was, you know, too afraid of eating out or certainly bringing food or whatever it is. And I felt very compelled to like control that situation. And that just got too hard, way too hard. I couldn't do it anymore. So now I found like other means and places I like to eat at now and try to find some relief. Um, and that's, I think what I had to do to make the adjustments. I just stopped doing those things. Just stopped trying to fill all those needs, try to go back to things where I could get more help uh, where you can. But, you know, as this year has been so crazy, childcare has been totally unpredictable. So sometimes you might have had it, then you lost it again, in quarantine again. Um, I think those times you just have to stop trying to do everything, stop trying to be a perfectionist, stop trying to have a clean house or the best meal of your life and just say this week, I'm going to have to cut those corners. Yeah. It sounds like you've over the course of your career, you've kind of constantly recalibrated your boundaries. You know, listen to yourself. This isn't this isn't tenable anymore. It's not sustainable. Something's got to shift, and you've shifted. Like whether it's you know looking at where can I be flexible, um, or it's just giving yourself permission to get a B in keeping the house clean. Um, Absolutely, I, I think that's so right. I love how you said that. Um, Maybe that's the keep your options open piece. You know, when when this job came up for me for women on the move, 
I loved the job that I was doing. I probably would not have left it were it not for this really amazing opportunity and something to do something that, you know, something chance to do something I was really passionate about. It happened to coincide with my youngest son needing a lot more of me. He did need more of my time. We did need to focus more of our energies with him. And taking this job gave me a little bit more flexibility to do that. So I happened to be very lucky. It was an area of passion for me, but it did coincide with a period of my family's life where I had to make a few adjustments. But getting back to what I said before, I didn't want to step out. I'm, to be honest, I am petrified of stepping out of the workforce because of how hard it is to go back in. And so I'd rather make those adjustments and try to do different things to make it work than to stop altogether. So we're all often talking about the idea of sponsorship and how important that is for, for everyone, and especially sponsorship for women to be, mm-hmm. you know, someone advocating for them. How, what, what would you recommend how a woman would seek out the right type of sponsor? Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's a unique thing to, to ask someone to be a sponsor, or maybe that's not the right language you would use, yeah. but you know, how would you think about growing and maintaining that kind of relationship? Well, to start with, I think sponsorship is almost the key ingredient, if not the key ingredient to your career. So if you look at everyone who's been successful, women or men, it's the sponsors who've really made the difference. And I define sponsor as someone who really advocates for you, pulls you up into a stretch assignment, gives you a new job, um, has your back when you're taking risks. You know, they're the one pounding the table for you. Versus the mentors who can help you, they can give you great advice, they can be a coach, but it's someone who gives you an opportunity, I would define as a sponsor. And I think it's really important for people, especially women. So I'm spending a lot of time thinking about this because many women at our bank have asked this question too. And in my observations and discussions with many women in the firm and outside, you tend to see some similar themes with how people have developed sponsors. And I'm going to be thinking about a lot of this over time, but I'm just going to put it out there now. It's my my early days. Um, You know, one is, can you do something for a manager, for a boss, a peer, someone to give them leverage and get their shit done, frankly? You know, how can you help somebody really get what they need to get done? That's their agenda. You can help push it forward. You're filling that void. And maybe they've given it to you because that's part of your job but maybe they haven't. And when you go above and beyond and you're really showcasing yourself to be of even more value to a boss or manager, I think that really solidifies a great relationship and a lot of trust and loyalty. So I would say that's sort of option or method one is sort of fill that void or need that a manager has. The second I would say is to be a really deep expert in something, be that go-to, be that very unique, person with a capability that really no one else has. And as a manager, you, know, you want that person on your team. You want to tap them. You know that you have all the confidence in the world that they always know what they're talking about. And I think for women, especially, that's a great way to develop confidence. That's a great way to develop um, speaking capabilities, the, the feeling that you belong at the table, because it gives you that sense of, I know I belong here, right? It gets a little bit of that imposter syndrome, puts that away. Um, by being an expert, a true knowledge expert. And, you know, the third thing I'm observing is be a part of innovation. You know, what idea do you have that's new, that's novel? How can you create something that other people want to join? You know, is that a new technology? Is that a new process? Are you going to start a new company? 
that often attracts other people to your side and, and makes them advocates and supporters of yours. So I think that could be a third model too. And I'll be playing around with all these models, but I want to throw that out there just to uh, plant the seeds for folks. But you know, when I see sponsorship in action, it is truly amazing. I wanna just illustrate one for you. So one of our most senior women at JP Morgan Chase, her name is Tasunda Duckett. She was just named the CEO of TIAA, the asset management company. She's gonna be the second black woman running a Fortune 500 company. She is so special and incredible, just a phenomenal leader. She had a wonderful track record at JP Morgan Chase. And you can see her sponsorship in action. You can see the people behind her, placing her in different roles to get certain experiences along the way. And it was just, it's like this amazing chess game where you see sort of the pieces and the movement and the next steps. They're very deliberate. And that's what a sponsor can do for you is really think about those moves for you. What else do you need? What other experience do you need to get ahead? So I look at that and I say, you know, thank God for the people, for her talents, number one but for the people who saw them and really gave her those opportunities. Absolutely. She's such a badass. I've been following um, that trajectory. It's very, very cool. So we have a couple follow-up questions on this idea of confidence. So you mentioned, you know, be, be an expert in a certain area. Kimberly asks, what if you're an expert in many areas, but when you're asked about items, you're not an expert, how do you portray confidence? Ooh, I love that. Um, well, you know, sometimes we feel like we always have to have all the answers. And if we don't, you know, we're on the spot and all of a sudden we look bad. I think you just have to project confidence in knowing you could find the answers as well. So you might be in a meeting, someone asks a question and you say, huh, that's a really interesting question. I know X, Y, and Z. So maybe there's something else you're pulling in from your toolkit. Like, well, I don't know exactly that, but I know similar things. And I'm going to go find it out. And you know what you do? You find out the answer as fast as you possibly can. And you bring it back to that person as a follow-up. That's always what gets people's attention, right? Because not a lot of people take notes in the meeting, follow up on everything and get it done. So I think when you bring all that to bear, you are able to project that confidence in the moment. But I think you also instill a lot of confidence after the fact. Love that. Oh, yeah. I like that. Because you don't, we don't all know everything. But, but you can be confident that you can figure something out or go get the answer. And a hundred percent. And, you know, it's really worse when you sort of BS your way through something and it's very clear yeah. and, and you misrepresent. No, as you're doing it, you're like, oh, what am I saying? And everybody yeah, knows. exactly. Just don't go there. Just don't go there. I remember at the dinner table growing up, my dad, my dad sort of modeled that um, when we would have a discussion, if somebody would say something and he didn't know what it was. We would wake up, this was in the early days of the internet, we would wake up in the morning and my dad had done the research and printed out and left it at our bedroom of the answer, like the encyclopedia answer of whatever we were talking about. And here it is on our desk. Wow. It was exactly that of just, you know, he didn't know. And he was like, hmm, I don't know that. I'm going to go find out. Um, very. I love that. I and it's easier to do than ever before. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, okay, we have another question from the audience. Um, Monifia says, I'm often told to think strategically when running my team or bringing my team to the next level. But how does one do that? What is your definition of strategic thinking? Mm, that's a great one. 
So I'd say my definition is being able to set a vision, being able to have a big picture and being able to look at a problem from multiple angles. So let's say, let's say what it's not, you know, it's not only doing the numbers or looking at the marketing or figuring out the operations. It's the vision for everything and how things come together, how things fit in parts, how your position in this world as a company, as a competitor, relates to other competitors and others in the market. And it's thinking of opportunities and risks. So how might you take things forward? And what are the things you might encounter that you really wanna mitigate against? So I think thinking strategically is almost thinking at the highest possible level. It's forward thinking, and it's coming up with maybe new ideas and innovation that haven't been seen before. Uh, you know, and that's whenever I was in strategy uh, assignments, uh, thinking about growth and thinking about where a company should go in the future, you know, you always considered the current position, but then you thought of so much more the strengths of a company, what it was really good at, what the competitors were doing, how you could leverage yourself, and really all the elements of an operations plan or an implementation plan. So it's almost stepping out of maybe your defined role, especially if you're in a pretty narrow function, and trying to think really holistically about a subject at hand. Great advice. But I want to say this too, like, that's good feedback. Feedback on being more strategic is good. What would be even better is if the manager said, and this is how I define it, and here are the three actions you should take. So if you don't get that from a manager, go back and ask them, well, what are the three things I can do and how will I be measured on those things? Because I'd love to talk to you in three months and six months to show you that I've actually improved on them. I can't stand feedback that is num number one, not actionable, and number two, pretty biased and, and soft, meaning you don't have executive presence. <laughs> the communication skills aren't so great. Women tend to hear these things and they're not always that actionable. And what I really don't like about them is it really signifies there is a model of leadership that is male. And when women don't fall into that because they don't have the gravitas or the presence, i.e. male presence, women tend to get you know, ding for that. So when you hear feedback like that, I would really encourage people to push back on bosses or kindly just say, well, what do you mean? How could I get executive presence? Is this something I said in a meeting? Is this something I did? What specific action can I take to correct that? What's the language I used in that meeting that made you feel that way? Or body language, your lack of language, maybe. Um, oh, I love that. That how it's so important because I think you're right. So many people receive feedback that you can't do anything with, and you walk away scratching your head, going, "What? What did that mean?" You know? Yeah. And it's code, it's code for something else, right? That we don't see other types of leaders or models here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's such a non-confrontational way to just get to the bottom of it as well. Of, you know, how do you define executive presence? How do you define communication skills? How do you define strategic thinking? Um, yeah, love that. Brilliant advice. Let's see, we have a couple others. That just came in. Um, all right, let. I'd like to ask you, how are you thinking about advocating for racial equity as a senior woman at the top of a very large organization? I am thinking about this all of the time in every single thing that I do. How this is how. So much of what we do is run events, put on content, bring in speakers, have teachable activities and moments. 
it is my job to make sure I have a diverse set of speakers off the bat. Like that is first and foremost what I need to ensure all the time because that is representing who we are, what we want to achieve, and it's bringing the voices to the table. And I'm really proud of that. So in our last few major events and events we've had around the world, uh, we've really had a diverse set of voices, very different looking women and very different women with very different backgrounds. So that's first. Second, you know, in each of my strategic areas, I'm really focused on women of color wherever I can be. One of those areas is helping women in small business. And so something that we're launching this year is going to be several programs, things like boot camps, things like accelerators for women of color, particularly Black and Latinx women. So you have to be really intentional with this. And you know what? Maybe it's harder to find either small business owners or hiring candidates. I hear everything all the time, too hard, too hard. You got to keep going. I think that's a terrible excuse. I don't think it works anymore. There are so many talented women of all stripes out there. You have to keep going. And it goes back to what's leadership look like? What does the right candidate look like? You've got to open your mind to a diverse set of talent. So those are those areas. Um, when it comes to financial literacy, which is another big program and programs that we do, we have a very special partnership with Girls Inc., which is one of the nation's largest nonprofit organizations serving girls. And most of the girls in this program are girls of color and girls from low-income backgrounds. And that is so important to me that these girls get off on the right foot at a very early age, whether that's in the financial literacy front or health or academics. So I really try to make this a part of whatever we're trying to do it is strategic. It's very deliberate. I know financial literacy is something um, you've shared with us is one of your passions and, and really a mission in, in your life, personally and professionally. What does that look like for you? And, and also what are some tools and um, resources that you use individually to be more financially literate? So I look at a lot of data all the time that suggests that women tend to outsource this topic, financial literacy, um, to partners, to spouses, if they are in that kind of situation. Um, and even if they were single women following all this, doing all this themselves, when they get into those relationships, you know, they tend to take the step back. That could be for a variety of reasons, maybe lack of interest, maybe because they take the kids and dads take the, you know, finances. It's very typical. And frankly, it's very typical around the world. So what we try to do is really encourage women to stay as educated as they possibly can on all these things, because unfortunately, you might come back to being a single person through divorce, through death, through something, or frankly, you just really might need that knowledge for any kind of life stage, even with a partner. So we really try to make things accessible to folks through content that can be for anyone across the spectrum um, in terms of your knowledge or your level of uh, wealth or level of investment capability. And so, you know, things that I like to use, I, I think it's a number of things. I, I tend to read a lot in the personal finance area. I spend time with my husband talking about our finances very often, probably more often than I care to, but he likes to do it. So I'm there. Um, and, and Frank, we do fall into that typical uh, pattern of he kind of does more of that than I do. But I really try to stay focused on that with him to make sure that we're um, making sure our values are still connected, you know, we're on track doing the things that we want to do, and we're talking about different investments. The other thing I do like to do is have a personal and separate relationship with the financial advisor that we work with. So not just let 
my husband talk to this guy, but I like to talk to him too myself so that we have a connection that I don't feel like it's all going through my husband, but that it's something that I'm comfortable comfortable with as well. You know, a lot of times advisors don't often engage with the female in the relationship. And that is to their detriments, you know, because a lot of women will tend to leave and, and pick up their business at some point. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, we only have a few minutes left. So I think maybe one last question. Um, what are your thoughts on self-care for women? A nice place to end. And how do you replenish your own energy? Got to do it. Ladies, take care of yourself. You got to put it in there. Um, and you know what happens when you don't, right? So I, I know we all think we don't have the time to do it, but then you get to the breaking point and no one gets served by that. You know, not you, not your family or friends, anybody. So you do have to do it and make the time. Um, I am a Peloton fanatic too. So that's my go-to these days. And I try to do something every day. I think they've made it unbelievably addictive with the whole monthly reports and your goals. And, but it's really fun. I mean, maybe exercising isn't always fun, but it's fun to see your progress. It's fun to see your friends on there. I do enjoy that. And so, you know, I gravitate toward different personalities just to keep myself going. Um, in the, during the pandemic, I carved out time and took some writing classes online through the community, nothing major, um, but was able to go back to some of the things I really enjoyed doing, which was writing and starting to write down just family stories, you know, things from the past that I wanted to really remember. And I did that at night, you know, when my kids went to sleep, I would just carve out a little bit of time there. And, you know, I probably stayed up too late several nights doing that sort of thing and then missed the Peloton workout the next day. But, you know, sometimes you just have to mix it up. So I say, you got to do it, find the things that work for you. Everyone is going to have something different that works for them and just find it, even if it's a few minutes a day. Yeah, absolutely. I love that idea of um, writing at night. I hate the word self-care, but I heard of it described as soul care and writing is like a perfect, just soul nourishing activity. Um, yes. That's so awesome. Okay. So we're going to wrap up now with kind of the dessert at the end of the hearty meal with some rapid fire questions, um, just fun ways to get to know you a little better. So first up, and these are just quick, first thing that comes to your mind, you don't need to overthink them. First up, what's your favorite food? Sushi. Pet peeve. Arrogance. What's your best strength? Forgiveness. Biggest vice. Wine. <laughs> uh, finish this sentence. I'm currently reading. I am currently reading Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Phenomenal. Awesome. And I just finished Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Totally. Also phenomenal in a different way. Yeah. So you can have both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something we could not find out about you on LinkedIn. You might not have found out that I was a radio journalist in my college days. I was the news anchor geek on a college station of alternative rock DJs. So let's just leave it there. Um, I'm a huge alternative rock fan though, because of that time, mid nineties, okay. just to age myself. <laughs> and also that you used to be a water skier. That's fabulous. Yes, you will not see that. 
on the resume either. That's awesome. Um, okay, finish this sentence. I'm most joyful when? I'm hugging my children. And lastly, what does the term or the phrase step up, reach down mean to you? Reach for the sky, take these big risks on yourself and bring others along with you, especially women. What a beautiful place to end. Sam, thank you so much for your time, for your insights. Um, this has been a delight of a conversation, so energizing and soul care for me. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Kim. I really appreciate it. Thank you to a great audience. Really appreciate the questions. Thank you so much for joining us. And everyone, thank you for, for being with us today. Please do join us back in the platform. Any thoughts, takeaways, we'd love you to share them with the community. And please do step up and reach down and help another woman up while you're there. So we'll see you next time. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you love this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.